Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, I'm Michael Knackers here with Catholic Conversations. Uh, we're changing things up a little bit instead of talking about religion. We're going to be talking about bees today. I have Patty Caranda, or PK, here from the Central Illinois Bee Association. Patty? Okay. And, uh, yeah, so I'm the treasurer for Central Illinois Beekeeping Association. We uh, use the initial SEBA, and um, we're, I've been with them approximately 10 years and they are a group that supports the local beekeepers help education help with mentoring supporting with um bees so how did you get into bees in the first place well a long time ago my sister was in bees and she took me out and it was hot and sweaty and not a lot of fun (laughs) and so i said oh this isn't for me but then as I got closer to retirement, I kind of said, what am I going to do with my times? And then I saw a beekeeping class mm-hmm. at ISU, um, and, and I took that and really got fascinated with them. So I thought, okay, this is what I can do with my retirement time. So do they have regular bee classes there? Um, they did at the time. Uh, the Okay, the it was an ISU beekeeping class. Uh, Carl Wenning is the one who, mm-hmm. who started it. Um, and they had a yearly class. Uh, as as the group grew, it was more community based people than students, and so we kind of morphed into a local organization. Well, actually, we're not real local. Um, we're a fairly large area, and so we took on the name Central Illinois Beekeeping Association. Oh, okay, so how many people are in the group? There's probably about 120. Okay, and does everyone have their own beehives or are there community beehives? Um, most people have their own beehives. A community beehives are difficult to to uh, have because somebody's got to manage them. And so whoever's going to do that, you can't just kind of group manage your hives. So like the ones you only out- You want one cook in the kitchen. Correct. I well, understand. It's, it's, so like the ones out at Sugar Grove, the uh, SEBA owns those and uses those as teaching facilities. So in other words, I'll invite people out to, hey, we're going to do an inspection. This is how you do an inspection. Take the time where you can physically look at the bees, see the bees, go through them. Um, uh, this coming weekend, we're going to be installing bees. So I'll put a, a, a notice out there. Anybody want to come see how to install bees? We'll show that. So we've got a kind of a public place that we can do that. But it's still, I'm the one who manages it. So myself and uh, another gentleman, Izzy, We'll go out there on a regular basis and typically about once a week we're out there and then just invite people to come explore. Yeah, I actually went to one out at uh, Funk's Grove about a year ago and that, right. that was very interesting. Right. Um, so where do you get bees from? Okay. Am- Amazon? <laughs> uh, well, actually you can get them in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's um, some local beekeepers that have them. Uh, the ones that we are getting next week are actually coming from Georgia. Uh, we have, and, and you do have to be careful where you get your bees because you'll have honeybees are, uh, they can be where they are raised just for hives and, and, and propagation that way. Or they can be ones that have gone through kind of a rough life doing the pollination, the travel mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And, and those may not be your healthiest bees within that so your honeybees are uh, so we but you can also get them in the mail so we've got two local distributors um honey pimp apiary uh and then uh hilco bees is up in um manunk manunk and uh they will we can get bees there other people there are some you know like i might have extra bees and okay i'll sell them to you within that so 
you can trade. Okay, so you mentioned getting bees from Georgia. Like, are there different species that do better in different temperate zones? There, there is some philosophy, and it's and it's like dogs have different breeds. Mm-hmm. Bees also have that, those different breeds. So you've got you know Russian, Canolian, Italian. Um, you know, you you've probably heard of Africanized bees. Yes, and what they're what they try to do is breed good genetics. Uh, one of the things we struggle around here and and going farther north are ones that can survive the winter. Mm-hmm. That's the big ones. Um, there's also now a little bit more genetics going on for treating for some of the viruses that are um, happening within our, our the community. I'll say um, it, it's. There's uh, something called a mite, and the best way I can describe it is like a tick. Um, we get ticks, we get viruses from ticks. Mm-hmm. The vi- the mite is is a very large tick to in relationship to the size of the honeybee, and it gets on the bee and it transfers virus that will actually shorten the life of the bee. So I've heard of beehive collapse. Is that one of the major that's, contributors? That's there is a wide variety, so that could be one of the contributors. Mm-hmm. Um, that it is, you know, a, a disease that is attacking the bees. It actually goes in the in the pupa state and will actually eat the fat of the bee. So when the bee is born, which is full size, it doesn't have its fat reserves to live. You also have pesticides. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the pesticides, if you think about, there's something called neonix, neonicotinoids. They're a chemical that is typically, it's a systemic. So it goes into the plant itself. Mm-hmm. Many people, um, you can even, it's sometimes even your nurseries, because if you go to nursery and you see a plant that's been chewed on and one that's not, you pick the one that's not. That's, yeah. that's kind of the way we are. But what, People that sell those plants are kind of like, oh, if I put a neonic on it, it will not ki- get chewed on. It, it'll get chewed on, but whoever chews on it dies. Mm, okay. 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 So it's systemic. And the the problem is, you know, like farmers, they want they want to grow crops. They don't want bugs eating it. And so it's actually coated on the seed and goes into, this, into the plant itself. And when it goes into the plant, it, that means it also goes into the nectar and pollen. Mm. Pollen is the bees' carbo, uh, uh, protein. Uh, nectar is their carbohydrates. Interesting. Well, oh, you mentioned before the um, the the bee larvae have fat. I have no idea yeah. the bees have body fat. Yeah, learn something new. Yeah, <laughs> and they and they uh, go. So so that's you know. So pesticides are weather is also not uh, climate change. The Bees do well when it gets cold. They can they can keep it 90 degrees inside their hive in the middle of winter. But what happens is when it gets hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, they break their cluster. Their cluster is where they kind of group around the queen. That holds that heat in. Mm-hmm. And when they break that cluster, they need to use more energy, which means they eat more food. And so when, just like what we've had, we've had just recently past few weeks you know you have 70 and and that that is actually this last cold a lot of beekeepers probably lost a lot of their bees which is hard on them i'm surprised bees survive living in illinois hot cold hot cold seems to be the standard they can live in canada so so they yeah so they can live in canada you know it's again they'll they'll do that now honeybees are actually european they're not they're not native hmm they, we, the uh, colonists came over. They saw that we did not have honeybees and they brought them over. Um, honeybees are the only ones that make a food product that man eats. 
That's so, interesting. So it goes in that, that direction. So you've got both honeybees and now we have native bees. In Illinois, we have 400 different native bees, but their social structure is quite different. In honeybees, you have a queen, mm-hmm. but she's not really the boss of the, of the hive. Her job is to lay eggs and that's it. She doesn't, she, uh, they will feed her, they will clean her, they will groom her, and all she does is lay eggs. And she'll lay, depending on the season, between 1,000 and 2,000 a day. And do all those come to term? Typically, yes. Okay. Uh, Typically, yes. And, but the differences between honeybees and native bees, you have on the honeybees, you've got workers do all the work. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, there's a group over here. They start and they feed the baby bees. They make the comb. They uh, take the nectar, turn it to honey. Then you've got another group that guards the hive. You've got another group that goes out and forages. So, a worker bee actually lives about six weeks. About first three weeks is typically doing work inside the hive. Last three weeks is typically out foraging. And they literally fly till their wings fall off. Oh. Okay. So, but they're doing all the work. And they make a group decision on to what goes on inside the hive. As opposed to native bees, okay, you, right now you're going to start seeing some bumblebees go out. Mm-hmm. That's typically a queen. She goes, finds a nest. She will start making, so she has to gather her own food. She starts making her own um, uh, comb to lay her eggs. And then she'll lay eggs and then she'll raise them. So she's got to feed them. So that's one bee doing all the work from start to finish. After a short time, after the first group of bees that she'll have worker bees, they will uh, start helping her. And then throughout the year, then as she gets more worker bees, she can do, she can start laying more eggs and get a little bit of a colony. A honeybee colony is, you know, like 75, 100,000 bees. A bumblebee colony is maybe 50 to 100 bees. Okay. Okay. And at the end of the season, she'll start laying queen eggs and the workers make a queen by feeding it uh, the egg special food and they will become queens. So at the end of, in fall, those new queens will go out and mate with the drones who are the boys and then they will hibernate over winter. So do any of them survive the winter except for the, the queens? The queens are the only ones that survive. So the old queen dies. Okay. All right. In honeybees... It's more of a perpetual mm-hmm. colony. So the queen can be anywhere from, in honeybees, from two to five years. Uh, the lifespan is getting shorter for the queens. It used to be four to seven years, and, and it seems to be getting shorter just through whether it's genetics and, and the stress on them as far as the pesticides and weather and things like that. So with the honeybees, mm-hmm. um, how do they decide which bees end up being which type? Do, is that known or is it just kind of random well, chance? Well, it's, it's whatever the workers decide. Whoever makes the honeycomb and builds the comb, it takes eight pound of honey to make a pound of comb wax. Um, the workers will make a certain size. If they make it one size, it'll be a worker bee, which is all females. If it's a different size, the queen will lay a different style of eggs. The queen has all the eggs and sperm she'll have for her life. She has the ability to lay a fertilized egg, in other words, an egg and a sperm, or an unfertilized egg. And that, that would, so it'd be just the egg and not, and no sperm. And she does, decides that by the size of the comb that the workers made. If it's small, it's a worker. If it's big, it's a drone. Now, so, 
drones. How, how big of a difference are we looking? Like you can see it. Okay. You can see it. Um, yeah. You, you, if you have them side by side, it's easy for you to see. And she uses her antennas. She measures, and so in a sense, all the drones do not have a father, only a grandfather. Interesting. Because there's no sperm. Hmm. So it, it, how that biology works is fascinating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, but they can make a queen. If they have an egg and they feed it royal jelly, it will grow into a queen cell. All right. So it's fed royal jelly throughout its life. So you can have two eggs side by side. One is not fed royal jelly. One is. The one that's not will be a worker. The one that is will be a queen. Now, there can only be one queen per hive. So what? They, so the workers kind of decide, okay, we want to make this a queen cell. Um, sometimes they decide, I don't like this house. I want to move. We're too crowded. I don't like the, the, the color of the paint in the house and move. <laughs> um, and what will happen is the old queen, she'll leave and take about half the bees with her and go find a new house. All right. But that was decided by the workers who decided that they're going to have new queens. So she sees her replacement come on the horizon. She gets out of Dodge. You you betcha. And, and they leave, you know, so she leaves. She takes half her workers with them. Um, and then here comes kind of the Game of Thrones. The queen cells, the, the bees, the workers are smart in that they just don't have one queen cell. Because if something happens to that queen cell, they can't make another queen without an egg. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have a queen, there are no eggs. So they will make maybe a dozen queen cells. And they'll grow. I see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> First one hatches and it's she goes to all the other queen cells and and kills them. Nature is brutal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it gets brutal on you boys, too. Okay, boys, you don't even have a stinger. The drones don't have a stinger. Mm-hmm. Um, they have one job and that is to mate. All right. So they go on a mating flight um, and it does break off and stays with her. So that's one way you die. But in the fall... The girls kind of look at you and say, you know what? You're not collecting honey. You're not collecting nectar. <laughs> You're not making comb. You're not taking care of babies. And so in the fall, the the workers will, which are female, kick all the boys out. <laughs> and, you're, and, and you have no idea how to survive. So um, in those uh, um, honeybee hives, uh-huh. um, the, uh, the combs are made of wax. I've heard they, they have plastic ones. It, it's um, there's various things that we do. Um, it used to be we started out with a, a wax foundation and they built from that, but they found it when you harvest the honey, a lot of times that would break down. And so what they do is they they give a start of of uh, a wax foundation, so it kind of gives them a starting place. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of those uh, they found that the early ones the bees didn't particularly care for but they learned that if they coat gave a good coating of wax on those plastic frames mm-hmm. the honeybees would then work, grow on them or Do you uh, know, them. um could they with those plastic bases could they manipulate them if someone wanted to breed more queen bees like if they're going into selling those bees um you there are uh uh, techniques to make more queen cells. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to understand the queen life uh, biology. Actually, they'll even um, take uh, queens and inseminate them. Oh. Artificial insemination to get the, the qualities that they want. So Purdue does quite a bit of that um, in genetics. genetics. So, okay, if I take a queen and she's still a virgin, they will actually artificially inseminate her with the, the 
jeans that they want. So you can do some very small tweezers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. On a microscope. Um, there are some techniques to be able to, to change the, what the bees do as far as making queen cells. Um, like if I've got a hive, uh, I can take the queen, put her in a new hive with some of her workers. Well, now this hive does not have queens. As long as they've got eggs, they can make queen cells. Okay. All right. So there is some manipulation that you can do. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in a little bit, we'll talk more about the different types of beehives because okay. I imagine they're like for, oh. like the artificial hives. I'm sure there are a number. Uh, for the, the local bees, um, are there things that you can do to support, like if you don't want to maintain the oh, natural yes. beehive? Bee, honeybees are actually classified as livestock. So, oh. uh, so native bees need – so a lot of people, they say, oh, I want to save the bees – what they really mean is they want to save the native bees, and there mm. is plenty that you could do for them. Um, one, reduce your use of pesticide. Two, um, be a messy gardener. They they hibernate overnight. Over you know mm. the uh, honeybee uh, bumblebees will uh, hibernate in the leaf litter, and so that may be one of the places they need to stay. Um, a lot of your stems, those mason bees and leafcutter bees, they actually lay their homes inside of stems of plants. So if you leave your garden, the flower stems that have, you know, you've, you've seen them where you break them open and it's kind of hollow on the inside, they could actually build their um, hives inside of that. And, and again, a mason bee, they're called solitary bees. Mm-hmm. And so she does all the work from from uh, she lays the eggs, she goes out and get nectar and pollen, makes a little food ball for them and put it in the, the stem and then puts up a little wall. And so a native bee might only plant, may only um, raise a dozen bees. I also tell my neighbors that uh, I, I'm supporting the bees. Oh, absolutely. So um, well, I, I'm sorry. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back in just a minute. Okay. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Listeners support Catholic Spirit Radio in many different ways. Some write checks. Others use credit cards. But did you know that you can also give Catholic Spirit Radio your old car, truck, boat, motorcycle, or RV, even if it's not working? Donating your vehicle is easy. We take care of everything from pickup to tax receipt. Just go to CatholicSpiritRadio.com to click on the Donate Your Vehicle link or call 866-628-CARS. All right, so we're back. Uh, we were talking about native bees before and what we can do to help support them. Okay. Um, like I said, we've got 4, 000, uh, 400 different native bees. There's actually about 4,000 in the Americas. Um, they range in a variety of sizes. And what they need is habitat is probably the biggest issue that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping, you know, being a messy garden, getting rid of your yard tell you the truth um, and and sometimes you have to work with your neighbors and have it kind of planned yeah. uh, with uh what you know that you're you're growing this in it because uh, like wild prairies from the start the first three four years looks weedy like yeah. my husband if it's green it's a weed <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it is um but allowing your yard to get a little longer even um you know allowing stems for it uh, having even bare spots, uh, probably about 60% of our native bees are what we call mining bees. So in mm-hmm. other words, they go down into the ground and they dig a hole and they have little chambers down in the hole and you'll see them coming and going within that. And so they're almost doing, like an anthill, almost like an anthill, mm-hmm. only it's, you know, again, it's the one bee in each little <clears throat> chamber 
is where she will lay an egg and then she'll go out and get that food and leave it in there for the bees itself, for the native bees. And then she'll dig another little chamber, another little egg, another little food ball. Then she'll dig another chamber. And, and again, she'll dig um, like 60% of them dig. Uh, but it, if you can get some of the um, uh, leaf cutter and, and mason bees will do tubes. You've got several places that have like, you'll see them where they're on a wall and you can do this in your yard and there's no maintenance. Honeybees take some maintenance. You have to, you have to inspect them. You have to treat them. You have to take care of them. Native bees, you don't, they're on their own. So if you had like a old stack of fire or something that yeah. was too oh, yeah. rotten to use for an, in a fire, you could leave that there for the Oh, bees? absolutely. Okay. Um, you'll see you know, there's some cute little houses. You can go into uh, pollinator habitats and you'll see where it's like uh, little tubes of bamboo mm-hmm. that are in like a little box for them to fill in. Um, down at Sugar Grove, we've got some down on the, on the sap house on the on the west side and you can see the different colors like certain bees will uh, the the mason bees will use mason think about cement they will use mud to seal their the the tube where you see leaf cutter bees will actually have green leaves where the they've they've laid their eggs and they can be right next to each other be totally fine um you do need to do a little bit of maintenance on those you know like every three four years replace the tubes so they don't carry pest diseases i actually have one of those bamboo bee boxes and when i was moving from my old house to the new house i thought the box was empty and i convinced (laughs) my wife who was pregnant at the time that the box was empty and we're driving across town and i see one bee fly right past my line of sight (laughs) and then i open the window and i start driving a little bit faster and then another one starts flying around she's like are there bees in the car i'm like maybe (laughs) so i ended up having to uh, drop my pregnant wife off at casey's for about half hour while i continued that drive with a car full of bees yeah Yeah. and so so again it's it's they can be didn't get stung at all though yeah no for the most part bees do not want to sting their stinger is like a fishing hook it goes into you both honeybees and native bees it goes into you and it's in you. you they can't get it out and literally it rips it out of their abdomen and, and it kills them oh so they don't want to sting you um just like honeybees honeybees will have guard bees and they will die to protect their hive mm-hmm. um native bees for the most part don't go after you now there are a lot of yellow stingy things and so sometimes people say oh it's a bee i got stung by a bee and they probably got stung by a wasp wasp are meat eaters Bees are vegetarians. Mm. Okay, so the wasp has a stinger that's more like a needle. It can go in, come out, go back in, come back out, and they can sting repeatedly. And so that's that's the difference. And they will they will go for you. Um, and and especially in the fall when they're looking for food, they can be pretty aggressive. And actually, there's some wasps that will actually eat bees. That was one of the things I wanted to ask about. So is there an easy way when you see something yellow buzzing around to tell, is that a wasp I need to run? Um, yes, actually. If uh, I would walk away slowly, mm-hmm. batting at something, whether it's bees or wasp, just gets them excited and they kind of look at you as you're being attacking them. So, so then you want they, to de-escalate the situation. Correct. So, so just calmly walk away. Um, sometimes they go into, uh, the wasp will go into your, your drinks or your food or your sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the biggest difference between bees and wasp is fuzzy. Bees are fuzzy. Wasps are not. 
Okay. They have a shiny, shiny skin. Now, getting that close sometimes is a little hard to tell mm-hmm. because, again, you have what they call mimics. So you have some wasps that want to pretend to look like bees. That's and, not fair. Yeah, that's <laughs> not fair. And it has to, but they are still typically a, a shiny, uh, very narrow waisted on uh, wasp. Bees, on the most part, are kind of chunky. Um, they're, they're fuzzy. Typically not that, the, the bumblebee is the one that's closest to the yellow and black, but honeybees are, are pretty much kind of more of a brown okay. color. They're, and so, um, and I think pretty much everyone can identify the, the big giant bumblebee. Yeah, and Those they, are my favorite. Yeah, <laughs> and they, they kind of move along a little slow. But if you think about it, how fuzzy do they look? And that's how they pollinate is, is that fuzz is static. That's static, the collector. That it's ah. a static electricity and they, and the flowers, um, have set it up where, okay, if you want to get to the nectar, the sweet stuff, you have to go by the anthers. So in other words, you collect the pollen, you go in, you fertilize. That's how it, the fertilization goes. So are the bees looking for the um, the, the pollen and the nectar or one yes, or the other? Both, both. Okay. Both. And so they will collect, but they also, in a sense, the pollen they share. Mm-hmm. All right. Because the, the flower kind of gets them to come back into uh, deep into the flower. Um, and it's so, part of the reproductive process. For, okay. Right. And so, but um, no, the bees will have what they call, um, uh, some people call them Cheeto pants, pollen pockets <laughs> on their, on their back legs. They will collect the pollen, kind of put it in patties because they're, they need that for the baby bees for the, for, I should say the larvae because bees are full born full size. So they need that protein for the larvae. And that's one of the things they feed feed it with. And so, so they collect that, but then they also have a, a method of, they ingest the nectar and it's not, it's kind of their stomach, but not really. And what they do is they take the nectar and mix it with enzymes. Then when they go back to the hive, so this is the forager, they will trade off and hand off the pollen, hand off the nectar to another bee who adds more enzymes to it. And then that one transfers it to another bee that adds more enzymes. And then they start putting it in the comb. And that's what will create the honey. So okay, the nectar comes. So it's a comes, multi-step process. Right. And it's the enzymes from within the bees that change it from nectar to honey. Um, honey can last forever. It, it has been found in the tombs, uh, in, in, the, in the pyramids. Um, now, honey can spoil if, it, if the moisture level is too high. So, okay. so when I harvest honey, I have to make sure it is capped. The bees know to, they don't cap it before it is, is down to 16% moisture level. If they cap it and it's a higher moisture level, it, will, it can ferment and or mold. Now, you can take fermented honey and uh, make it into mead. Which oh, is, that, is a beverage. <laughs> it's a you know alcoholic beverage, um, and that's what some of you know they. That's why a lot of them uh, used in, during the medieval times is, is honey to make mead. Hmm. Okay. So you're talking about uh, um, the the pollen and the nectar flowers. <laughs> are there certain colors of flowers that bees are more attracted to, or different types? There are different types. Um, Bees are not necessarily good flyers, so typically they like the flat flower, um, an easier landing pad, mm-hmm. where as opposed to a long tubular flower, it might be easier for a hummingbird. Um, bees do have, especially the native bees, have different like thumbs, so that can make a difference in what flowers they go to. Mm. And there are bumblebees a lot of times will uh, 
do do a uh, vibration pollination. So in other words, they vibrate the the flower to get it to open. There are some uh, gentia is a flower that only bumblebees can get into. They are the only ones strong enough to open the flower. Hmm. So they are so, and they see them differently. They see in ultraviolet lights. What we see is a yellow flower, and that's all we see. If you look under it under ultraviolet light, you'll see it's a yellow petals. You'll see the center is a bright red, even though to us it all looks yellow. So it looks different to them. Um, sometimes the flower has like lines pointing to the center in in the design like of the a little leaf. landing pad. Yep. And and so they do. They they typically more the, the flatter flowers versus the the tubulars. Okay, so like daisies are a good one. Yeah, okay. right, right. So you think about sunflowers um, and things like that. But you also have to be careful that sometimes we see flowers and think, oh, there's lots of food, but the flower has already been pollinated, so it's going into the seed production. So. You, so want, you want to kind of diversify your correct. flower patch of a constant supply yeah, so of different Yeah, so you flowers. want an, or something something that blooms early. Um, actually, the bees go out and start collecting pollen uh, off the trees. In if if there's a nice day in February, they'll go out and they'll be collecting pollen off the trees. Like the maples are a very early one. So, uh, I've got a boxwood that they they're just covered with bees right now. So they can bring in pollen that sometimes is a pale green. Mm-hmm. It might be a lavender color. Um, most of us think of, of pollen as kind of a yellow or an orange shade. Mm-hmm. So what are some of these season specific things? Like right now it's springtime. Um, I've heard that dandelions are popular flower. They these. are. Um, they don't have a lot of food source for them mm-hmm. uh, within that. A lot of your shrubs, uh, and the best thing is to do native, uh, your native shrubs. So you have a service berry, you have um, a viburnum. So a lot of your shrubs, your trees and your shrubs are the earliest with nectar and pollen. Then you start getting flowers because you think right now there aren't re- many flowers out there. They're just starting to get some daffodils, which are European mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and stuff. Those but, honeybees probably like appreciate that more than the, the yeah. locals. And and so they so a lot of your trees and shrubs are the ones that really start your bees off in the springtime and stuff. You would never so, think of trees as a food source for bees. Yeah. So they well actually they uh, they use it for their pollen, but they also have something called propolis. It's almost like a bee glue. Uh, it's their gorilla glue is what they've got and mm-hmm. they will collect the sap and you think about the sap if you touch a pine tree how it's how it's sticky mm-hmm. well they collect that and they actually line the inside of their hive or any cracks or holes with that propolis and it has an antimicrobial substance to it so it actually helps the health of the bee but it's primarily coming from tree sap mm-hmm. So. Sounds like bees are very hygienic. You got oh. sterile food, and their houses full of antibacterial. Yeah, and that's that's how they can survive. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so uh, you know we clean our house, they clean their house. Look at that. So we we're talking about wasps earlier. Um, mm-hmm. You said that they're the the meat eaters. Um, what good are wasps? Oh well, they they do insect control. Um, a a wasp, a a mud diaper, or a paper wasp will actually go out and they will make their little home. Kind of, and it's uh, uh it, and it looks like comb. Also, only a typically mud diaper. It's made out of mud. Uh, paper wasp is made. Out, it has like a paper wood 
pulp to it. I think we've all seen those in the rafters of our house before. Correct. <laughs> and what that um, wasp does to feed her egg, she goes out, she collects spiders, oh. puts it in with her egg, seals it up. So when that egg hatches, it has spider for breakfast. So those little paper wasp houses are full of spiders. Correct. That feed. is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> That'll feed the feed them. Um, so they they are also pollinators, though. So they will pollen. So they are part of our pollination system. So um, bees, honeybees, uh, wasp. Uh, you're, you've got some bats. You've got uh, hummingbirds. Are all part of our our pollination system Mm -hmm. and if we lost our pollinators mankind has about four years and we're gone oh wow okay if you think about it there'd be no fruit Mm -hmm. vegetables you know you wouldn't get any plants because if they are not being pollinated now corn is wind pollinated but soybean you wouldn't have any soybean that's insect pollinated Mm. so no tomatoes no pumpkin pies no pumpkin pie no pumpkin pie you know so so in the fall time, is that when you typically harvest honey from your hives? Typically. Um, most people try to – it can be a spring harvest or it can be a fall harvest. Most of the time, we try to uh, locally harvest before the goldenrod. Goldenrod is typically the last flower of the season, but it has an unusual characteristics of if if they have collected a lot of goldenrod, nectar, and pollen – you walk by your hive and it smells like dirty gym socks. Oh, you know. So I see why they want to harvest before the golden yeah. rod. Um, but some people love it. Some people actually. Love, it's a very rich flavor. It's a. It's uh, so the color of honey will depend on what the bur- uh, the bees ate. So you can have an almost white honey to an almost black honey, and everywhere in between. Um, and so some people love the flavor of it, like buckwheat. You'll hear buckwheat. You'll hear tupelo honey. Um, they. Locally, we are tri- we are mixed wildflowers. We don't have big crop areas of particular types of nectar and pollen that would make a specific type of honey. Like the, um, the bees that are working down in the orange groves, they will harvest it before <clears throat> the bees leave so they can call it, you know, orange blossom honey. Um, so would that be down like in Florida where they do that? Correct. Okay. And stuff. And and so you, you've uh, New Zealand and Australia have manuka honey, which is a, a very almost almost like molasses, and they will use collect it at certain times when after that flower has produced its honey, its nectar and pollen, they collect the honey at that point in time so they kind of can classify it as just one but here we don't have those big fields of of a, like clover you know clover is do you mean just like locally or just yeah. like nationally um, or- locally you know uh various places you know in illinois you don't you uh, in uh, north dakota and south dakota they got big fields of s- sunflowers mm-hmm. well so that'll be sunflower honey they've got uh, minnesota has a lot of uh, clover so and you know you have field of clovers you know, so we've got corn and soybeans. They have clover or sunflowers. Is, is there such a thing as corn-flavored honey? Uh, no, because they will collect the pollen off it. There is no nectar. Okay. So they and corn is, is again, has uh, uh, quite often a pesticide in it, so I don't, I don't want to eat the corn. But they will, like, 
in March when they're looking for pollen and they can't find it, you'll uh, a neighbor was talking saying, "I've got bees in my bird seed," and they're looking for the, the the dust and stuff off those seeds and pollen that's in the bird seeds that you have. Interesting. Yeah. So. So how subtle are the differences between the flavors? Like if you did a side by side comparison, would oh, it be can, obvious? Yes. Yeah. Okay. There are, you can, um, some people like buckwheat honey. Some people swear, oh, I love buckwheat honey. Other people will say, yuck. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a real dark, dark honey, almost black. Is there somewhere where you can go to order different types of honey? Yeah, you can, you can go to uh, various uh, online places that'll have the different flavors within it. Um, there's a, uh, actually there's a, a group, um, uh, uh, what's their name? Uh, Wild Harvest Honey Farm. They're down in Wapella. Um, and the girls there get um, what we will, boutique honey, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. And they will get different flavors. Some of them are infused, but some of them are, are natural in their flavoring. Okay. So we'll be back in a minute. We're right now we're talking about honey and where to get it. You're listening to Catholic Conversations on Catholic Spirit Radio. Hi, I'm Deacon Al, your host for Good News here on Catholic Spirit Radio. And I have good news from Bishop Louis Tilka. The dispensation from the obligation of attending Mass due to COVID has now ended. It is once again time for all Catholics who are capable to return to in-person participation in the Holy Mass. Our faith community is incomplete without you. We invite you to return to Mass this weekend, and please continue to pray for those who still suffer from the effects of COVID. All right, so we're back. Uh, we were talking about harvesting honey. So how does one go from a chunk of honeycomb to a jar of honey? Okay, what I do is um, I will pull frames that are completely capped, so it's down below that 16%. I will then take it inside um, and you know get all the bees are off it. And then what I do is I do what they call on capping, and that I might use a hot knife, I might use a bread bread knife. I might use a scratcher, something to poke a hole in the capped honey. Then I I use what is called an extractor. Um, You can get, you can get manual ones. You can get uh, electric ones. Most people do the, what they call a radial. It's almost like a uh, top load washing machine. You put the frames in the holders and then it spins and the honey actually will come out. The honeybees, when you look at the comb, you think, oh, it's just horizontal, but actually it is tipped just a little bit towards the inside to help hold that nectar in until mm. till the bees are able to dehydrate it. And they need a lot of water to dehydrate it. And they use their wings, beating their wings, and they actually drink a lot of water. And so they will dehydrate that. And when it gets down to below that 16%, then they will put a layer of capped honey on that. Because honey, if you set a jar of honey outside and it's humid day, it is visic- um, it'll absorb that moisture. It'll it'll absorb the moisture and become higher than that sixteen percent. So then it'll then it'll mold or spoil. So um, so I uncap that, and what I do then is typically put the frames back into the hive. Let the bees will clean it up, and they'll start refilling it again. Now there are some. It it looks cute. Um, looks easy is something called a flow hive. What they kind of tried to design is a hive that is has the comb. It's a plastic comb. And what they do is when the honeycomb is capped, you 
crack the back, you move the plastics, the, the, you, in, in the back it has a slide mm-hmm. and the honey opens up and then it comes out kind of a drain hole. Oh, which that looks sounds a lot easier. Except it still takes the same amount of work. The hive itself still needs to be inspected, still needs to be able to, you still need to be able to remove the hive and pretty pricey. So it's, you know, you're looking at a thousand, fifteen hundred for a hive. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. So what would you say if someone wanted to get into beekeeping? Like, what is, like, how do you get started? Okay. The best thing you could do is take a class. Mm -hmm. Now, it typically, the best time to take a class is like January, February. March is getting late because the season is starting. Um, So take a class. And there is a lot of information. There's a lot of YouTubes out there, but wading through that. Now, with beekeepers, you will find, you asked, 10 beekeepers, the same question on how to do something, and you'll get 20 different answers. (laughs) And there are times, and some of that is because in the springtime, I'll see one thing and and do it, do something. Midsummer, I'll do something else. Fall, I'll do something else. Even though the three times I saw the exact same thing, I saw a queen cell. Do I split? What do I do? Um, My maneuvering of that. Um, And beekeepers can be very... um, um, opinionated. Oh, very opinionated. Yes, my way. And 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 so a lot of times, what I do is is suggest people mentor for a year with mm-hmm. somebody, um, or two or three people, and that way they get to see what will work for them. I try to encourage people to say, "Okay, this will work for me." I'm sh- I'm short. Well, I'm not gonna. Uh, lift up a box, and those boxes can get heavy. If I pick up a ten frame of deep honey, I'm talking like ninety pounds. Well, I'm little, I'm short, I'm not going to be able to do it. So I inspect my hive differently than somebody else who's who can do the muscle um, and that. Now, so take a class, mentor with somebody is a is a great idea. See how they do it, go, and that is both them coming to your place, but you going to their place and go, mm-hmm. going through your hives. One of the things you do is you do an inspection of, say, six hives in a row. You start to see the differences and and reading your bees. Listening to your bees and being calm around them, you're less likely to get stung. Beekeepers, you are going to get stung. No ifs, ands, or buts. But I can minimize the sting. One, I wear a suit that has a veil that I can see. Um, There is a balance on the gloves and new, new people are a little afraid of bees, so they'll wear the heavy gloves. Mm-hmm. But you can't feel as well, and so you quite often you end up squeezing a bee, which and sends stress them out. Well, it's it sends out a pheromone. If you <clears throat> smell bananas when you open up your hive, you've got they're 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 in that defensive attack mode. So if I wear a lot of people go with no gloves. Now I kind of go in the middle. I'd use latex gloves, so I got a feel, but I don't get the propolis, the sticky all over my hands. And and then I can go between there and also be sanitary between the hives. So, oh, so you're not potentially spreading contaminants correct. or diseases. So from so yeah. So any so the my hives out that I manage out at Sugar Grove versus my hives at home, I have two sets of tools, and I and I use different gloves on both of them, so I don't trade any pests or diseases that way. Um, it is recommended. A lot of people say, "Well, I just want one little hive." Um, you need at least two. And a lot of that is to be able to compare and also to protect your investment. And what I mean by that is if I have two hives and they each have a queen 
one hive swarms or doesn't have a loses their queen, whatever happens, I can t- and there's no eggs. I can take the hive. I can take a, a frame of eggs from one hive that has a queen. Put it in the queenless hive. They can make a new queen. If they don't have a queen, that hive will die. So you're kind of hutching your butt a little bit. Correct. And 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 that way also I can compare. This hive's going gangbusters. This one's really limited. What's the difference? And and what you try to do is balance them out so they don't rob each other. Because sometimes they will rob out each other. So in other words, in the fall, in the fall where where resources are getting slim, mm-hmm. they get much more aggressive. So bees can be aggressive at times. And be, sometimes you can go in there and I can just stick a, a swarm. I can stick my hand in there. They won't bother at all. They can crawl all over my hand, and they're not going to sting me at all. As long as they've got plenty of food in Netflix. Uh, yep, you got <laughs> it. Um, so it's it's um, you have to, and and Langstroff is is the typical square box that you see. All hives have to have removable frames. As a livestock, I have I register with the state of Illinois as a livestock, um, and that's their big requirement: is it has to have removable frames so that you can do inspections. In uh, the medieval times, they had uh, what they called skeps, which were like baskets, and the bees would live in there. But to harvest the honey, you actually crushed it and destroyed the hive. Oh. So that, you know, it's not. Removable sounds a lot better. Yeah. So <laughs> removable, I can. And so, again, I can pick out the frames. And I see that they have a lot of food. I They can share it with me. I see that they don't have a lot of food. Maybe I'll pull honey from one hive, put it in that hive so they've got enough through the winter. Could you leave, like, especially in early spring, could you leave out, like, some uh, sugar dissolved in water? Yeah, kind of. There, there kind is of. feeding. There is. What happens when you do, that's called open. There's there's internal feeding and there's open feeding. So I can put in a frame feeder. So there's an, a top feeder and there's some feeders that can actually be inside the hive. Easier for them to protect. If I do an open feeding, like I've got a, a bucket with sugar water in it. Uh, one, I have to make sure they don't drown. Bees drown actually pretty easy. So I have to have some type of flotation. Because of the cheetah pants? Yeah. Well, because when when that fuzz gets wet, think about it. You you mm-hmm. you know, if you go swimming with your clothes on, you have a tendency to sink. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Um, so they don't, they, they, they like um, uh, your water sources to have where they can actually just crawl down to the edge of the water source as opposed to just land on it. And, and sugar water is sticky. So, but if I leave it open frame, it it, it kind of gets them in a frenzy. It's kind of like a food fight, uh, mm, and then they start too much of a good thing. Yeah, too much of a good thing. So I I I prefer it is recommended not to do open feeding, even though they think oh. And besides that, you're feeding all the feral bees too. There's a lot of feral bees. A lot of honeybees have left my hive and gone and live in a tree, even though they're still honeybees. Mm-hmm. They're they're considered feral, so I don't necessarily want to feed them, but. Um, you want to support your beehive. Correct. And so, you know, because sugar gets expensive. So there's there's times to feed, times not to feed. Um, so I encourage them to get their natural feed from the from the, the honey, from the flowers, mm-hmm. the nectar and the pollen sources. Um, but there are times you do supplement feed. But two is a minimum and, and what they call a nuke box, which is a nucleus, which is a – most of your boxes – Typical frames are eight or ten frames across. A nuke box is five frames, so it's like a little mini hive. And mm-hmm. it's and it might be that, oh, I've got there. I see these queen cells. 
that I know they're going to swarm. So I take the queen, put her in there, make like a little a mini hive. And then I wait and see if they are able to, the queen gets mated well because if it's poor weather, she can't mate on a flight. Uh, and she, so they may not be successful in re- rearing a queen. Well, the queen I just pulled out into that little five frame I could put back in. Okay. There's so, a, there's one other type of hive. It's called a top bar hive. It looks cute, but it's a tough management. The frames are removable. That means there's no foundation. Um, and you have to inspect them differently, and it's it can fall apart real easily. Are those the ones where the comb is like almost like a stalactite? Correct. Okay. Yes. Yes. You're right. Those do look better. They they look cool. They look natural. But if I flip it wrong and it's honey, it's going to lose the yeah. whole chunk. Okay. Yep. yep. So you mentioned a couple times that they're considered livestock. Do you need a license to keep N- a beehive? Not a license, but you do need to register them with the state. Okay. Okay. There are some local ordinances. Bloomington has um, a couple of years ago, and this is again where the association helped. They they Bloomington maybe about three four years ago looked at all their zoning laws, Mm -hmm. uh, every single one from pavement to parking to bees to chicken to everything. Um, And a company comes in with a big stack of, here's the zoning laws you want. And then they're supposed to fine tune them to what they want. Our association, you know, and they kind of said, oh, no honeybees in town. And our association went to the to the, the city council and kind of talked to them and said, mm, no, that's that's not right. So they made some restrictions as far as in Bloomington, uh, two hives so far from the, the property line, uh, notificate, you know, a sign saying there are honeybees. Normal has no ordinances for or against bees. Oh, okay. okay. Now, sometimes your uh, associ- home associations will have, oh, nope, no bees and stuff like that. So I don't have to have a license, but I do need to register with the state. And the state does have inspectors that will come and inspect. And our inspector is great, Jim Wellwood. He will, he, uh, if you're having a problem, you call him and he'll come and help you solve your problem within your hive. So it's not so like he's knowledgeable about beekeeping. Ex- yeah. He's been a beekeeper for a number of years, but he's, you know, so he, he has that. Um, so he does that. So that's where I, I, uh, I, I learned a lot just from, you know, one time he came out to do an inspection. I said, well, what are you doing this for? Why are you doing that for? One of the things as a beekeeper, you need to listen to your bees, your bees, their, their tone, their, their sound, their buzz, their movement kind of give you a feel of what's going on inside the hive. So I move slowly, deliberately. Um, you'll see where a lot of people will smoke a, well, they'll use a smoker and smoke the bees. That is to mask the pheromone, kind of a confusion. Now, I do that very rarely because I found that a lot of times people will oversmoke and then the bees are get a little bit more frenzied because it's just like you smell smoke in your house. You kind of mm. start walking around. Well, oh, I've got a fireplace. Okay. <clears throat> so I don't use a smoker a lot, but I do listen to my bees and I have a smoker lit that, okay, they're getting excited. I just walk away, back, back away, let them calm down. If that doesn't calm them down, I might just smoke them a little bit and close the hive back up. So sometimes I go very deep in a hive. Sometimes I just look at a frame or two and I can tell what's going on just by listening and seeing those few frames. Okay. You said the uh, the queens can live three to five years, I think you said it, earlier. It, 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 originally it was like uh, five to seven, and now they're talking two to four years probably. Whether genetics, whether um, 
you know, the hard life that, that happens to bees now, the lack of habitat, they're, they're finding they're not lasting as long. Okay. So over the years, like, do the beehives get to know you at all? Um, or is it just over the course of the year they just kind okay. of recognize that you're not a threat? Somewhat. But if you think about it, your workers only last six weeks. Mm-hmm. Six weeks, I've got all new bees in there. Well, they've known you their whole lives. Yeah. <laughs> but it's my movement and my behavior, I think. You know, if I okay. if I get in a hurry, oh, I want to go out and inspect them real quick. I've got a half hour. Let me do it quick. And when you hustle or rush, that's when you make mistakes. That's when you squeeze a bee. That's when you drop a frame. And then, you know, then they get upset with you. Mm-hmm. So I just, you know, if I reach a point where, okay, I'm tired, I'm going to quit and I'm I'm going to go because there's times, you know, it's it's hot summer and you're not, I wear a full outfit. Some people wear just a jacket, some will wear just a veil, some will wear nothing. I wear a full suit because I get that propolis and honey and sticky stuff all over me. So I can wash my suit a lot easier than my that jeans. Like a mess. So it, and it, and so you have to kind of work with them. So listening to your bees and, and, and I'll, you know, I still take classes and somebody will say something and I'll kind of go, uh, I have to think about it and realize you got to think like a bee. Mm-hmm. So think like a bee. And what is the bee trying to tell you? So it's not me trying to tell them what to do. It's, the, it's me listening to them. What do they need? Okay. And then uh, if someone were to get started with it, um, how how long does it take to get good at beekeeping? Like, to- Oh, never. <laughs> <laughs> You're always constantly learning. Um, I would. It, it's going to take. You get your first set, um, and you get frustrated because they didn't survive the winter, and so then you get another another package of bees, uh, and they do come in the mail um, occasionally, and you can order them, and your post office wants to know it, wants you to pick them up as soon as possible. I bet they do. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say two to three years you'll get where okay now i go you've realize. seen a few problems yeah because it's them. it's there are different time different things different times of the year you know it's, it's just like a school year um you, you start out with one area and you move and progress to the next one so even though it's still first grade at the beginning of first grade is different than the end of first grade so you have to go through a couple years cycle to feel get a feel of what those bees are Fair enough. Well, we've only got about a minute and a half left. Is there anything about bees that you just want to get off your chest at all? Well, if you want to see some bees at Sugar Grove, I maintain an indoor hive so you can actually see the bees through the glass and and see what they look like and see how they behave. Okay. All right. I know um, at uh, Miller Park Zoo, they've got a pretty good indoor beehive. Right. I, I think they lost them this winter and, and, and Jay's a little disappointed. And, and it, indoor hives are hard. They're, they? they're, they're a different management because you can't just open them up like you can outside mm-hmm. to, to go through that. So. so, again, I very much appreciate your time. Uh, I'm Michael Knackers, and this is uh, Patty Caranda with the Central Illinois Beekeeping Association on Catholic Spirit Radio with the Catholic Conversations Show. You've been listening to Catholic Conversations. Download our podcasts at CatholicSpiritRadio.com. <laughs>